0: Before, uh, before we um, get into any series and things in the new year, we've got some stuff coming, but I was thinking about um, a particular passage of Scripture uh, in Matthew 15. It's also another version of the stories found in Mark chapter uh, 7, I believe. We're going to be looking at the Matthew passage. But, uh, and uh, Pastor Jordan's not here today. Uh, He's uh, traveling back from uh, Montreal. He'll be uh, pulling in later today. But I I wanted to let you know that I must give him credit. He is the inspiration for this sermon today. So even though he's not here, you promised me that you'll, you know, I gave him credit, right? Right? Because it's true. It's true. He was dealing with something in his life, and he wanted the Lord to answer this prayer and he said to Helen and I, I think the three of us are, I don't know, maybe there was a bunch of us around. I can't recall. And he said, he said you know, he said, this is, this is just a crumb. This is just a crumb to the Lord. And when he said just a crumb, it got me thinking. And this morning, you're going to hear my thoughts. But uh, when he said it's just a crumb, it reminded me of the story in Matthew chapter 15 Put it up for me, verses 21 to 28. And it says this. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the, say that word with me crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. When he said, when Jordan said, like, what's it to God? It's just a crumb. I went, that's exactly what it is. He's so great and he's so awesome. What's hard for God? Amen. Amen. So, as the new year begins, I wanted to encourage us to believe and to continue to believe for a breakthrough that's needed in our lives. Now, some of you already have something that you already know that you need God to do this year, or that you'd love God to do this year. It might be uh, a salvation in your house it might be a marriage issue. It might be a financial issue. Might be some kind of a relationship issue. Might might be a, a, a hundred other things. But I want you encourage. I want to encourage you today. It's just a crumb. It's just a crumb. His power and his mercy are so great that what is impossible for us, obviously, is possible for him. And this is such an interesting story where. We see Jesus actually breaking a bit of a pattern. When, when you see him going through the Gospels, most of the time, healing comes immediately. He might ask a question or two. Sometimes he doesn't. But healing just comes immediately. He heals his, you know, all the crowds came to him, touched him, and they were healed. They were all healed. It, it, it happens most of the time pretty quick. This is seems to be breaking a, a bit of a pattern and makes this story a little interesting. His response to the woman is different, and it actually could almost come across as rude. Have you ever thought it seems to come across as rude? It's okay. It's okay. It, it, as it can seem that way. Imagine somebody coming, okay? I mean, just think about it, even from my perspective. Somebody coming to speak with me at the church asking me for help, and my first response is, I, don't, I just refuse to speak to them. So I'm in the room, but I just refuse to speak. You'd immediately think I might be rude, right? So that's what he does. He re, first, he refuses to speak, and then when he does finally speak, he calls her a dog. Seriously, this is a very strange story in that regard. Right? Like, if I did that, okay? Somebody comes in to see me. Oh, Pastor Jeff, I really could use your help with... And then you beg me and beg me and beg me until you bother me so much, and then I go, really? Like, dog? Like, could you imagine? No. You're right. I couldn't either. I think I'd be out of a job. You would, you would be questioning my fitness and my mental capacity, right? But it's this unique encounter that he has. Jesus has with this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, who came to him in a time of great need. And I just wanted to... <clears throat> three things pop out about this story to me. She approaches Jesus and she shows three, I think, what are three great qualities that, that, uh, that help push this thing all the way through. She showed great desperation. She showed great persistence. And she showed great faith. And those three things are very, very clear from this story. The first, look at uh, verse 21 to 23 again. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus doesn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. So put this in context a little bit. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. And he'd had... Uh, and he'd had an argument with the Pharisees about what true purity was. And if you look back in uh, Matthew 15, you'll see it. He, he talks about, you know, saying, look, it's not, it's not what goes into a person that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of a person that makes you unclean. And he's having this, this debate and this discussion with the Pharisees because they didn't agree with a lot of the things that he was doing. And, and it almost seems to me like to make his point... He leaves Galilee and heads north, by the way. This is the furthest north that he ever goes in his entire ministry. He leaves, goes about 50 miles actually north to this area of Tyre and Sidon, which were Gentile towns. But even worse, okay, they weren't just Gentile towns. They were filled with Canaanites. And if you know anything about that, it's, it's significant. They were, Canaanites were ancient enemies of Israel. The Jews hated them, called them dogs, couldn't stand them. They, they, uh, their, their feud with them dates all the way back to entering into the promised land where they had to fight them to get in. And it, it goes all the way back to that. They were idol worshippers. They were total pagans. They, they were people that the Jews couldn't stand. And of all the Gentile nationalities that were around, the Canaanites were, were by far and away the most hated by the Jews. And so Jesus decides to go there. It's very, very, very unique. Mark's version, actually, in Mark chapter 7, Mark says that Jesus went into a house there, so he's now entering into an unclean area. He goes into a house that would be deemed unclean, and he's sitting around with people who are unclean. I think he's trying to make a point, don't you think? And so... Mark says in Mark's version, Jesus goes into this house and he wants to stay hidden. He doesn't want to draw a lot of attention to himself, but this woman knows that he's there and she refuses to leave him alone. She was completely and utterly, absolutely desperate, right, for an answer. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. And now imagine, as any parent knows, and and, and many of you here are parents, as many as any parent would know, this mom is in agony watching her daughter suffer such a horrible thing. It's killing her to watch her daughter go through this. And she is so desperate for help. She's going to, she's going to do anything she possibly can. She's willing to be shamed. She's willing to be embarrassed. She's willing to go the extra mile. She's willing because she's absolutely desperate. She's crying and she's pleading and not stopping. And it gets to the point where the disciples can't take it anymore, right? She's getting on their nerves. And so they say, look, Lord, just please send her away. She's driving us wonkers you know now the great debate over the years has been did they want did are they asking Jesus to heal her and send her away or did they care about the or didn't care about the woman at all and just wanted her to be sent away i don't know but either way they were they were they they'd reached their max this woman was driving them crazy they said lord please send her away this woman is just after it and after it and after it, right? And and so, Jesus' response is, nothing. Doesn't say anything. He doesn't say a word to the woman, and he doesn't say a word to the disciples. And I'm sure that for both those parties, it probably felt like an eternity, waiting for him to say something, waiting for him to do something, waiting for him to to sort of, you know, show his cards in some regard. What is going on? Nothing is happening, right? And he doesn't say anything. And so she begins to call him Lord. She says son of David, which which these terms are incredibly incredibly awesome for her a Canaanite woman to be speaking these words to Jesus. Lord and and son of David, like she seems to know Who he is. She seems to realize that he's the only, he's the only hope that she has to save her daughter. Her daughter can't be saved except through Jesus. She's probably tried all kinds of ways and nothing's worked. And she comes to him. And the terms that she uses to, to address him are so profound. I mean, Lord is one thing, but even understand son of David is a, it's a Jewish term. And it's used by, by the religious leaders and the Pharisees to refer to the Messiah. It was, it was a term that they used to refer to the Messiah that was to come. And she now assigns the Messianic title, Son of David, to Jesus. She's showing something, isn't she? She's saying, I know who you are. I know who you are, Lord, Son of David. You know, and, and she's... She's pouring out her heart and her desperation to the Lord. She seems to have a a great grasp of who he is. And for her to say these words, it it shows such knowledge and such belief on her part that it's quite amazing. She was pursuing him in absolute desperation, absolute abandon, and, and was just going after it and wasn't prepared to give up. And it got me thinking, do you ever feel like your desire for Jesus is not what it should be? Do you ever feel like that? You're, you're just not as hungry. You're not as desperate for Him in your life as you should be, as you once were, as maybe you feel you, sh- you, you can be. You know, and you know the term that I sometimes use, like, how big is your want to? You know, that, that your want to somehow for Jesus is. Is, is just taken a little bit of a step back. It's not as big as it used to be. You're not as hungry and as desperate as you once were. You know, uh, anything in life, by the way, this is true, and you'll appreciate this, but don't you find that there's something wonderful about meeting a person who's passionate? Like, seriously, about anything. Uh, seriously. It's wonderful to meet somebody who's passionate about anything. You you meet somebody who's passionate about fishing. Meet somebody who's passionate about plants. About you know anything. It's like wow, like it's so refreshing because you see you know the life you will know, well, tell me about, it. and then they'll regale you forever with this with all of their things about how awesome it is and how they're just into it. And there's something. Don't you find that inspirational? I do, it was like, look, I don't even care what you care about, but I really love that you love that. There's something inspirational about that to me. And so she's, <clears throat> she's showing us something here, right? We seem to fall into this fog, right? This malaise, this, this apathy, this indifference, this ho-hum, I-don't-care attitude, it, it, it pervades us. It's like a disease that's infected us. And there, and let, can I just say, can I just be blunt? It stinks. It stinks. It, it's not good. It's not pleasant. It stinks. It doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't help motivate us to believe and drive us forward. We're not, we, we're not passionate about anything. It's like we we become numb to everything. There are things in our lives that only he can fix, amen? And so why can't we get just a little bit more desperate this year? Why can't we get just a little bit more hungry, a little bit more thirsty? He's the one that said, if you hunger and thirst for me, you will be filled. He he I I believe God loves desperation. I believe he looks for it. I don't think he's put off by it at all. I think it's something that uh, that that actually he likes, especially when it's directed towards him. You know, she's desperate, desperate, desperate for her daughter. And this woman was rewarded for it right? So we know there's things in our lives that only He can fix. So if we hunger and thirst for Him, we believe that all things are possible. We can be filled, that we can be delivered. We can see salvation. We can see healing. We can see change. We can see great things happen in us, around us, in our family, in our church, in our town, in our nation. Someone said, Amen. It's it's true today, and I just wanted to remind you as we begin, we only have 51 Sundays left. Listen, let's go after him a little bit harder this year. Let's just be a little bit more desperate for Jesus. He's so desperate for us. This woman reminds us of that. She was desperate for him. She realized that he was the only one that could solve her problem. You have problems like that. I have problems like that. Then why don't we go after the one who can solve those problems? Right? Why not? I'm not going to find a solution anywhere else, but I can find it in him. So I got to go after it. And so this woman reminds us of that. So um, uh, second... Second, so she shows great desperation and sort of tied in, but you can't but you can't miss you can't miss the next one either. She shows great persistence. This woman does not give up. She will not take no for an answer. And there's something so awesome about that. Don't you love that? Seriously. I just love that. I love somebody who never gives up. There's something so attractive. So inspirational about that. Look at um, verse uh, 24. Uh, He answered. So now he finally answers, right? He's been silent all this time. She's saying, Lord, son of David, pleading and pleading and pleading. He doesn't say a word. Now, finally, in verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's really inspiring her to continue. eh? The woman came and knelt before him. She's not giving up. Lord, help me. Help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. See, this woman is not going to take no for an answer. She's just not going to take no for an answer. She was like, it reminded me of Jacob. Remember that story of Jacob back in Genesis 32 when he's wrestling with God? Remember that? And what does he say? I will not let you go until you... Yes. I will not let you go. Now listen, do you, think, do you think for a second that God couldn't have gotten out of that wrestling move that Jacob had him in? There's absolutely no doubt. He could have got away anytime he wanted. But there was something, I believe... That was, uh, that was awesome about him seeing how persistent Jacob was going to be. I will not let you go. Yeah? Let's wrestle for a while. I will not let you go. This man was not going to quit. And there was something awesome about that. Desperate for her daughter, this woman is not going to let go, and she's not going to give up. She had two big things going against her. Remember this but she still refused to, 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 to give up. First, she's a Canaanite, a long-time enemy of the Jews. Okay, And second, which is not insignificant, she's a woman. And by the way, in those days, that might even been a worse position to be in. And I'm not joking. So, not, But nothing's going to stop her, right? So obviously, the woman loves her daughter very much. She wants to see her daughter healed, And she she, she just can't put up with it anymore. And nothing's going to stop her. So she's going to persist in the face of adversity. And by the way, let me just throw this out there. Anyone who persists in the face of adversity is showing you something about who they are. They're showing you something about what's inside of them. They're showing great character. They're showing an inner strength that many people don't have. We need to be consoled and comforted, and we can't stand up to the tiniest little, you know, thing. And people crumble like sugar in water, you know. It's like we just melt when when adversity comes. And this woman is going after it. She's like, look, I don't care that I'm a Gentile woman. I don't care that I have to stand here and embarrass myself in front of a room full of Jewish men. I don't care if your disciples approve of me. I don't care if I'm crying and making a scene. I don't care. There's something awesome about that. She's after it. She is going to persist. And listen. She's showing something about who she is on the inside. How do you handle stuff in your life when things get tough, when they don't go your way? She didn't pack up her bag and go home. She didn't quit. She stayed despite not getting any encouragement to do so. As of this very second in our story, she has not received one encouraging word to stay. Not from the disciples, and not even from Jesus, not one word. But this woman is desperate. She's determined, and she is, and she was not going to be discouraged. And that's uh, that's uh, as we know the way the story ended up. So, how do you handle it? Her words not only showed great insight into who Jesus, who she believed Jesus was, but understand this. Her actions also showed a great strength of character. And the challenges of life have a way of revealing how strong we really are on the inside. You know that, right? How strong are we on the inside? How quick do we give up? How quick do we fold? How quick... When adversity comes our way, instead of standing and, and, and standing our ground and still going forward and pressing in, do we turn and you know turn tail and run the other way? Because we're into this malaise. I don't care about anything. I don't care. Whatever, whatever. I hate that. Someone says whatever. Whatever whatever. Go, seriously, man, go to school, get an IQ, learn some words. Like, seriously, somebody care about something. Like, honestly. It's 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 so inspirational for all of us. Listen, you meet somebody, you, you know it's true. You meet somebody who's just on fire for God. It's so inspirational for you right? It's just that iron sharpening iron. You meet somebody who's passionate about fishing. You might hate fishing, but just spend 10 minutes with that person. And before too long, you go, man, I, I feel like maybe I should try fishing. Like they just rub off on you. You know what I mean? That's what passion does, right? It, it's not right to walk around with, with none of it. It's not right. We live this life numb enough. And so, please, thank you, Gary, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, Like, how quick do you give up? And what does that say about us, right? What do they say about athletes who fold at the critical moment? He's not worth the millions of dollars he gets paid for if he can't stand strong in the time of need. At the time when we need them the most, right? We, how quick do we give up and what does that say about us? And what kind of character development is still needed on the inside? That we have got to be stronger than that. We have an enemy and a world that needs to be conquered. And sometimes you have to stand and fight. Hmm. Sometimes you have to stand and fight. So Jesus finally answers her with this amazingly inspirational word and say, listen, uh, lady, my mission is for the Jews, and you're not Jewish. Thanks for inspiring me, Jesus. See, this can be confusing because we know that God loves the whole world And that in Jesus, in fact, we learn in in the New Testament, in Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, right? There's neither male nor female. We are all loved. We We are all on solid ground. We are all one in Him. But understand this that the mission of Jesus at the beginning was to the Jews first, and then expanded to the Gentiles. After the resurrection, this is where you see a marked turn. I'll show you two verses to make my point. Matthew 10, this is Jesus instructing the disciples as they're going out. he, he He sends them out with these instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. This was their mission at the beginning. But then at the end... When he's giving the great commission, this is what he says in Matthew 28. Therefore, now he says, Listen, now go and make disciples of, of who? Just the Israelites, just the Jews? No. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So there's a marked difference, right? It says that this woman is not thrown off, that she he says these words to her, and she comes close. She, she's been out on the outside, but now she presses in and she comes close. She, she comes right up to him. She, it, some say kneel, some say worship. The word is the same uh, in, the, in the story. Kneel is the same word as worship, depending on the version of the Bible you're looking at. So she comes... And it'll say, she came and she worshipped him. Some versions will say, she came and she knelt before him. But this is, so she comes in, she presses through the, through the disciples and whoever else was there, and she comes close. And she kneels before him, and she says this, Lord, please help me. Now you'd think Jesus would never refuse a humble woman who was in need, Right? But his very next words, after she comes in and she says, Lord, help me. This is what he says in verse 26. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She hasn't been encouraged yet. Now it seems like he's calling her a dog, right? But let me, let me, let me you'd understand this a little bit. Jesus isn't playing games with her. He's not trying to insult her and he's not trying to make the situation more difficult. None of that is true. You know what he was doing? He was drawing out her faith. Do you understand? He was drawing out her faith. Are you going to cave or are you going to stand your ground and believe? Hmm? And he's drawing out her faith. See the Jews referred to the Canaanites especially as dogs, and there was two words that uh, Greek is an interesting language. Um, you know, we say love, and they have multiple words that they use for love. Dog is one of those words as well. They use two words for dog uh, dogs and, and when the jews <coughs> excuse me, when the Jews would say the word "dog, they would mean this wild, stray, dangerous mangy, nasty, ugly dog, you know? But Jesus used this word when he spoke to her. He used the softer word for dog. And why I'm mentioning it is because I think it's important when, as you get insight into this verse. He uses the softer word for dog. It, w- uh, it was like carry on and chiron or something like that in the Greek. And one is this mangy, rough, wild, crazy dog. And the other one is a pet dog meaning our pets, our dog, right? It's our pet dog. And he didn't use the harsh word that the Jews used. He used the softer word for dog, meaning pet dog. But here's the funny thing. Only Gentiles had pet dogs. Jews weren't allowed to have any dogs in their house because they considered the animal to be unclean. So he uses the word dog, I think, because she would know immediately that's the word that the Jews used to describe the Canaanites. And it helped her to understand why her request for help was not exactly fitting into his present mission. And he calls her by the softer version of the word dog. And so, when, so, so check this out. So when Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. The woman is bright. She gets it immediately. And she says, yeah, okay, she's not put off. She's not insulted. And she basically says, listen, Jesus, if I'm the pet dog, then at least give me what a pet dog gets. Guess where pet dogs stay when you eat meals? 21st century, it still happens now. They learn quick, especially when you got kids. They slop stuff all over the place. It's like, get under the table, baby. Good stuff is coming. You know? Right? That's where pet dogs go. So she's saying, listen, if I'm a pet dog, then at least give me what pet dog, what a pet dog is worthy of. At least get, give me what pet dogs get. Dogs wait under the table, waiting for crumbs to fall. And this is what she's saying. All I need is a crumb. You understand? She's saying, all I need is a crumb. I don't need a big piece of bread. I don't need anything big. I I just need a crumb. It'll be enough. This woman is an amazing lady. She has now, last, last point, great faith. Look at verse 28. The said, Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter is healed at that very moment. So this woman has great faith. Jesus saw it in her. He drew it out of her, right? And she believed that Jesus was the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of David, that He was so powerful, that He was so great, that all she needed was a crumb. Isn't that an awesome thought? All she needed was a crumb. That his ability to heal, his ability to deliver and change lives, it's so great, it's so immense, it's so powerful, that her greatest need was going to be met by a crumb that would fall off the master's table. That's all she needed. And it got me thinking, for all of us, who have put our faith in Jesus. We are now children of God, by the way. And and it doesn't matter now whether you're Jew or Gentile or male or female, whether you're rich, poor, red, yellow, black, white, whether, whether you came from a good home or a bad home, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is that we have faith in Him. And that, All of us who have our faith in him are now children of God, regardless of our nationality and our backgrounds. That means, by the way, that we have a place at the table. Mm -hmm. We now have a place at the table. So the children's bread that Jesus is talking about, it's yours. It's ours. It's mine. We have a place at the table. But I just wanted to inspire us today, and we're going to go into communion right now. But I wanted to remind us that our God is still big. Somebody said amen. amen. He is still as powerful as he ever was. And so the greatest challenge that you face this year, the greatest challenge that you face, the one that you can't solve on your own, the one that you need him to solve, I want you to know it's not hard for him. It's not impossible for him. It's not difficult for him. There is healing and wholeness for us. It is the children's bread. That's what Jesus says. And he's so awesome and he's so glorious and he's so big that all we need is a crumb. And a crumb will solve our greatest issues.